Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic here again with Aaron and Kyle. How are you guys doing this week? Uh, I'm doing great, you know. I mean, uh, tight, tense match last night, but I think those fans that stayed the full 90 were uh, ultimately repaid for their patience. Yeah, I'm actually kind of bummed out uh, today, actually, because I had to... uh watch the game on my small device instead of being there to watch the return of the king um, and Drogba making his way back into uh, into the f- uh, starting lineup so kind of bummed I missed that in person but uh, you know uh, ASU season tickets uh, unfortunately had to take priority over that yeah you only get six matches for that as opposed to our 16 regular season and at least one postseason match now. Uh, We'll get to that later, but the win last night clinched a home playoff match for Phoenix Rising, which is quite exciting. Um, Before we get going, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Arizona Soccer Complex, located by the 17 and 101 freeways in Glendale. They have two full-size indoor soccer uh, fields. They have leagues for people of all ages. They even have an outdoor field. Things are starting to get a little cooler now. Maybe in a month or two, you want to do that. And uh, whether you want to do a league or an event, get in touch with the Arizona Soccer Complex and let them know that the Rising is One podcast sent you. Um, and with all that being said, let us get into this match. Phoenix Rising versus St. Louis FC. So I'll, I'll take us through a, a quick match rundown, and, and uh, then we'll start going through some good discussion here. Uh, game started off uh, pretty quickly. Drogba definitely making his presence known uh, with a with a, uh, a switch field pass from the right hand side over to Brewer. Put uh, Brewer was able to uh, beat his defender and put the ball at the foot of Asante in the first minute, who uh, uh, put the ball in, and unfortunately the goalkeeper did make make a good save. Um, in the 49th minute, uh, St. Louis really had one of their best opportunities of the game uh, with a ball hitting the foot of Walls. Walls had a uh, good shot with power, bounced off of the post. Uh, definitely that ball was going in. I mean, Waz was, uh, had, was, was definitely diving for it, but the ball definitely had a lot of power. Unfortunately for St. Louis, that ball bounces into the midfield and starts the counter uh, as Schaff Brewer picks up the ball on, on a counter. 
feeds the ball in the center of the field up to Didier Drogba. And from, uh, I don't know, 25 yards, maybe 30 yards, Drogba puts a shot up that absolutely had to be saved um, and really basically uh, announced his return as a shot maker, playmaker for Phoenix Rising. Are you talking about that first minute chance? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that was a Waco that had that shot. Oh, it could have been a Waco. Uh, I thought I saw Asante, but I, I could have been a Waco. Um, later on in the match, uh, Brewer comes in. Or Brewer is subbed out for for uh, Billy Forbes. Uh, also, Vega comes in for Gladson Awako. Some good play back and forth, and we'll discuss that a little bit more later. But for, as far as our major highlights here, we have in the 81st minute, Billy Forbes picks up the ball. It was mis some, some misplay in the middle of the field. Uh, Forbes finds the ball at, at his feet, is able to drive the ball to the right post past the uh, St. Louis goalkeeper, uh, picks up his first goal in a while, his first play in a while, and uh, we'll share some quotes that he had from after the game uh, when, we, when we get a little bit further into the podcast here. Cortez, come, uh, uh, Cortez comes in for Drogba in the 90th minute. Uh, Drogba gets a little bit of, uh, of a curtain call off after there, and Cortez very quickly finds a gorgeous opportunity for a free kick. Um, we did, weren't sure if it was going to be a Waco that was going to take it or Cortez. Cortez takes it off the left foot, puts it at the base of the, less, uh, of the uh, uh, left post, uh, at least how he... Is it the left post or the right post, depending on how you're looking at it? Uh, it was the, the right post as he was looking at it in a, in a place that the goalkeeper was never going to find it, never going to be able to get to it. And Cortez gets to add to his, his goal total, bringing him to 17 goals on the season, his 50th career goal in the, Uni in the United Soccer League, um, and just puts a little bit of icing on the cake for a uh, – for Phoenix Rising as we clinch a home playoff match. Uh, so the first real big question is, here Here we have uh, our roster, guys, and we see Didier Drogba coming back. And we've had a lot of discussion over how was Didier going to come back, what, was the, what kind of a role was he going to be playing uh, in terms of his role on the field, was he going to be taking away from Solomon Asante or Chris Cortez. Uh, give me your thoughts. What do you guys think about about his performance last night? Uh, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked like he hadn't played a match in, I don't know what, it's been probably three, maybe four months now. But he looks good out there. I mean, he, he had a solid, you know, 80, min 80 minutes out there. So, I mean, good, solid run. But, um... I feel like Cortez, you know, he definitely, I think he still had an impact on the match, but I think Cortez could have had a larger impact on the match. He's been so hot lately. I think if he started, I think we would have scored earlier than the 82nd minute through Billy Forbes. But um, I, I think it was good. I think this is the right time for Drogba to come in. You know, we have two more home matches, three more matches left to play. So I think this is the right time to start, you know, getting him back into game shape and game, you know, mentally fit for it. And I think, you know, as soon as playoffs come, that first home playoff match, I think he'll be ready to go. Dom, as my question for you, you know, let's pretend 
Dominic is now coach Rick Shantz. And you have Cortez, who's uh, four goals behind the, the, the golden boot. What are you going to tell Chris Cortez here to say, hey, you're not playing? Well, I think Cortez is a team player. He's been a team player for several years, and he understands at the end of the day, the goal is the cup. Um, and as much as you want to be out there all 90 minutes every week, the best thing for the team to help our team be in the best position to win the cup is to bring Didier Drogba back in the fold so that when the playoffs roll around, he's in form, he's at his peak fitness, and he's ready to go. So I think Cortez gets that. I think, I mean, of course, you're a competitor. You want to be out there. And it's possible that in our last three matches, we'll be able to play Drogba and Cortez together. They have played together earlier in this season with some good results. So I think it can be done. But, you know, maybe it's a little frustrating if you're the player. But I think Cortez is an experienced enough guy to know that, you know, you can't really complain about getting your starting spot snagged by Didier Drogba. Uh, I think he's enough of a team player to understand, like, this is going to help the team in the long run, and he's still going to get a chance to shine. And he, he made the most of that chance um, with actually a very Drogba-esque goal. Drogba, you, you would think that he would be the guy that comes on as a super sub that you know maybe makes an impact in that way with a free kick or something like that. Well, it's Cortez with the free kick goal, with the beautiful free kick after coming in as a super sub. I think it adds a great dimension to a team if you're able to feature him as a super sub in the playoffs. Will that be how it goes? Or will we use two at the front? I don't know. But uh, I don't really have any problems with him, you know, taking a backseat to draw on this one. It's a good lineup in general. And I think a lot of the narrative might be different if Drogba's header in the 32nd minute doesn't get blocked by a St. Louis player because that was a rocket header definitely going in the net. Uh, St. Louis's keeper, Lopez, had no chance to save it. And uh, Drogba very unlucky to see that blocked and cleared away by St. Louis. So I think a lot of the narrative changes if that goes in. Kyle, question for you on this. Uh, here we had Gladson-Awako in the starting lineup. Uh, Schaff Brewer offering a little bit some of that speed. Both Awako and Brewer do come off in favor of Vega and Forbes. Uh, is that the right role for Devin Vega uh, to be coming in as a sub for Awako? Or do you, what, what do you feel Awako's effort was last night and his effect on the match? I thought Awako had a, a good, solid match out there. A lot of our play was going through him. Um, like Dom said, that one curling shot that he had that was saved by the St. Louis keeper uh, was a great opportunity. You know, it, it maybe wasn't the most powerful shots, but I've seen that that goal go in on some nights. So um, I think that Awako had a good, good, solid match. I think for Vega, I, I'm not surprised that he's coming on as a substitute. I mean, Awako is a proven player he's he started at phoenix rising for a while now so i think it's good to see him you know get regular minutes but also to see from rick shantz that he wants to push and go out and get this match in three offensive substitutions last night so to see vega get out on the field i thought he had a positive impact when he came in you know i thought um our team itself livened up once we made those substitutions for both devin vega and um 
Chris Cortez. Chris Cortez, especially, like we said, you know, just stepped up and uh, very Drogba-esque. And I think, you know, if he can do it, you know, starting or off the bench, then we're truly blessed, you know, at the striker position. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's something that the teams that are facing Phoenix Rising, they, they, they don't really know who's going to be starting up front, but they're probably concerned regardless. You know, I think the MVP of this match is Rick Schantz. And here's why. Both goals are scored by guys that come on as substitutes. Uh, Didier Drogba comes off, and then Cortez comes on immediately scores. But the real uh, game winner here is Billy Forbes, who comes on for Shaft Brewer. Um, all three of these subs in the last 30 minutes, all three of these guys come on make a big impact. And... I have to say, I love Rick Chances. It looks like he understands the team needs. He understands what guys need to come in when to, you know, maximize our results, maximize our potential. Because these subs made a huge impact. There is no way that Chef Brewer is going to drill that shot from 20 yards out that Billy Forbes did. You know, at that stage in the match, I don't know if if. Drogba would have taken that free kick in the 90th minute. Um, and, you know, I'm never going to say Drogba can't put a free kick in like that. But maybe he doesn't even take that free kick that Cortez ended up stepping up and taking and drilling. Um, those are the great subs. And even Vega comes on, makes an impact in the middle of the park. I think Iwako had a very good performance. And maybe the narrative changes there if if that first minute chance goes in. Uh, if he wasn't denied on that save. But these guys all come in. They make that impact. They help us get those late goals. And this is now the second match in a month where late in the match, it's a nil-nil home game, and substitutes come on and make an impact. Yeah, so I want to give I mean, you a quote from... Just look, at, just look at the number of subs that are scoring for us lately. Absolutely. That's all. So uh, this is what Coach had to say about Billy Forbes coming on. Uh, he said, quote, Shaft is young, and that guy runs and runs and runs. We're really hoping our wide guys would stay wide and get 1v1 situations. And I I know that's what Billy does. And that's, you know, pretty much right on. I, we saw this several times, especially on the left side, uh, with guys getting themselves into one-on-one situations, uh, being able to put a shot off. Even Amadou Dia uh, got some really deep penetration and it had a really nice shot on goal. So, you know, here we have Schaff Brewer with his speed. We have Billy Forbes with his, with his speed, which we've discussed before. Um, and it really was all, pretty awesome to be able to see Billy Forbes get himself on the board, especially considering we kind of we kind of bagged on him a little bit with the uh, last week with his uh, support with our supporter corner question. So, uh, great to see Billy be able to put a put a foot on the ball. Uh, he's such a good guy. If you don't follow him on Instagram, he's a great follow, uh, and you can really see his personality come out. Uh, as I was at, at the ASU game yesterday, I was actually um, uh, watching on my phone, and, and some guy, come, guy comes back. He says, what are you, uh, he said, what are you watching? I said, oh, Phoenix Rising. Uh, uh, and I said, oh, man, Billy Forbes just scored. He goes, oh, Billy Forbes. He says, I met him. What, I was drinking with him and some of the guys in downtown Scottsdale. <laughs> so... You know, these are real guys, and, and Forbes has a great personality, and it really comes out uh, on Instagram, and, and as well as a lot of the guys do. So, um, definitely, very, very, very happy for him. So, 
Uh, let's see, any other roster stuff? Uh, we did see a return to the field for Saad Abdul Salam, who had a short layoff due to injury, uh, so that was good to see him get back on. Uh, we see Duigi Mala still kind of uh, languishing on, on the uh, bench, um, not making himself or not getting himself back into the uh, on the defensive starters. Um, but, you know, that's pretty much it for roster issues. Uh, Dom, do you want? Do we want to go ahead and go into our Reno preview? Um, you know, maybe one or two last things on this match before we do. Yeah. If that's all right, I think. I mean, I think this was a good match that tested our character against maybe not the top opposition, but a team that will probably still make the playoffs. Um, and we just stayed persistent waited for our chances, took those chances. The one thing I will say, how different could this match have been if uh, Wallfall's shot uh, got into the net for St. Louis? Because 50th minute, he hit the post on that curling effort. Um, you know, we were very fortunate to not fall behind there. And really, it was their only quality chance, in my opinion, of that match. But, you know, that would have played perfectly into St. Louis's hands. They're a very defensive team that can get a smash and grab result like that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't go in and we hold our shape. We take our chances. And I, I'm so proud of all the guys that are coming in and stepping up. And I'm, I'm especially proud of Rick Schantz and the coaching job he's done because we've had so many matches this last month where we aren't playing our best match and we still find a way to win. That, that to me, is the biggest takeaway. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I forgot. We did want to run down some of the interesting statistics from the game, and one of the uh, most surprising statistics is that we had 19 shots to their five. They only had five shots. Only one was considered to be on target. Uh, we had seven on target of the 19. Uh, a couple that were blocked and whatnot. But uh, to be able to put 19 shots up. It would be nice if we had maybe some some more accuracy on those shots, but we were definitely making some pretty big attempts to to get the ball in one way or another. Uh, possession, we won the possession battle, fifty about fifty seven percent to forty three percent. We won in almost every statistical category except for interceptions. Um, we did have nine corners uh, to their three corners, so uh, we had the advantage in that area as well. Discipline also uh, very interesting. Not a single card handed out for the entire game. Uh, I, w I was telling Dom before we started recording that was a little bit surprising to me because I felt that St. Louis was going to have to come out and be very aggressive and be very strong. Uh, this is a team that is 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 fighting for its playoff life. Uh, they are currently in the eighth. Well, actually, I don't know if, if they've dropped or not, but the, coming into the match, they were in the eighth position. Um, and, and they're definitely fighting back and forth with a San Antonio team that's very disappointed with their own play uh, this season. So uh, th St. Louis definitely did not make a case for themselves to be able to retain that eighth position, I felt. I just felt that they were pretty flat and not as not nearly as aggressive as I expected them to, to be. Maybe not flat, but let's let's say that they weren't... I didn't feel that they were pushing, basically. I don't know. Well, and you know what, though, that's 
that's kind of their style. They're never going to blow a team out of the water. And their style almost worked. I mean, if they go ahead in the 50th minute 1-0, that's exactly the way they've been winning games. They've been winning a bunch of 1-0s, a bunch of 2-1s this season. And, you know, at least getting draws even on the road. They still control their destiny. We'll get to that later. But all they need is a win and a draw in their last two matches against the Oklahoma teams, both at home. And they are in regardless of what San Antonio does. Yeah, I mean, they're a counterattacking, defensive-minded team, so I wasn't too surprised. Um, but, I mean, like Dominic said, Rick Schantz definitely is the one that ultimately, you know, made the difference on the sideline with his two substitutions um, because it looked like this match was heading for a draw on a night that Phoenix, you know, just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. But we had two playmakers step up and... Uh, you know, we're able to walk away with three points and, you know, stay on the heels of Orange County, which is what we need to be doing. Absolutely. So as we're uh, talking about what we need to be doing, how about we talk about how uh, we need to be taking a win against uh, Reno uh, uh, Reno this in this upcoming match here. So, Dom, let's, let's work our way through that. Yeah, so this is, this is an interesting Reno squad that's going to be coming to town next Saturday. They offer a lot more in the attack than St. Louis did this week. You know, in their in their 2-0 win over Tulsa last night, they put 28 shots, uh, 13 shots on target, even though they only scored two goals. Uh, this is a team that offers a lot in attack. Um, you know, they still have Weehan coming uh, and playing most matches for Reno. They have Antoine Hoppenot and I don't know who which uh, Brian Brown up top. Uh, Brian Brown and Hoppenot are very quality players up top. Um, you know, they, they have some guys with a lot of experience. Uh, Duke LaCroix, uh, formerly of Orange County, is one of their defenders. Griffiths. They're, they're a tricky team. I think on any given night, they can be a great team. Um, and, and it really just comes down to like what kind of Reno squad's going to show up. Their defense isn't rock solid. Um, and that's why they've had these stretches where they start slow, they get very hot, then they go cold again in July and August. And now they have had good form again lately. I think two or three consecutive wins to bring them up to sixth place in the Western Conference. Um, and they're looking like they could finish top four if they continue this form. So... This is probably, they might even be a tougher opponent than Timbers 2 that last week. So we are going to have to play a strong match to get this win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, I think back to last year's match against Reno at home and um, that humbling 4-0 defeat that it was, you know, 4-0 before halftime. Um, they are a high power attacking team. This is probably going to be the opposite of the match that we saw this weekend. That the style that St. Louis played, where they set back and let us, you know, have the possession. Um, this is going to be a very interesting match. I think that, yeah, Dominic, this is probably going to be our defense's toughest test going into the postseason um, because it seems like, like you said, they're when they're producing 23 shots in a match, you know, they're getting a lot of opportunities. So Phoenix is going to have to make sure that they limit those and they're, uh, keep a tight defensive shape. Well, and, and just 
one of the strangest teams to really get a feel for this season because of those hot and cold stretches. They have a plus 14 goal differential, which is actually third best in the Western Conference. You know, when they put some goals in, they can put a hurting on teams. Um, so a tough team to get a feel for, but it seems like they are on right now. And that means that we are going to have to match their intensity uh, because they do have three wins and a draw in their last four matches. Their defense can be exposed. Vegas put three against them in their in their Silver State derby. So um, there can be goals in this match, but our defense has to be ready to go. I would expect at least two, three goals in this match. Yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting. I think you, you really hit the nail on the head because you said it depends on what Reno team shows up. I mean, their past five matches were St. Louis, and they, where they lost. They played LA Galaxy 2, who Galaxy 2 is, runs hot or cold, but uh, they, they shut them out. And then they've played Las Vegas Lights, uh, where they played to a draw, I mean, against a just not a good Vegas team. Uh, put four up on Rio Grande Valley and put two up on Tulsa. None of those, the past the teams for the past five matches, really, I mean, except for St. Louis, were playing for anything at all. Uh, so the fact that they they sort of struggled in, in some 1-0 games or, you know, 2 nothing against Tulsa, I would have expected, I just, I think I would have expected more in that case. Uh, but it is important to note that, uh, that Brown, their leading scorer, does have 16 goals. Uh, so he's right behind Chris Cortez. Uh, they have Van Uick, um, Mazowski, who's, a, I believe, a local um, Nevada product. Uh, Chris Weehan, Mafeka as well. So they definitely have several different tools that they can take out. But if we can stop Brown, I think we're going to be able to uh, kind of really stop stop the centerpiece of their offense. Yeah, yeah, that will be key. Um, like we said, I think there will definitely be goals. The key for Phoenix is going to be limiting them and uh, keeping, you know, Keeping our net safe. <laughs> I, I think this ends up being like a 2-1 win, uh, but a very open 2-1 match where both keepers have to make some big saves. And on another night, it could be even more like a 3-2 or something even higher than that. Um, but I, I would expect this to be a tough match for us. And I know we have a lot of shutouts lately, but this is going to be a tough team to maintain that that shutout run of form against. Yep. Well, I think that does it for a preview, unless you guys have anything to add there. Um, no. I mean, I, the one thing that I'm kind of interested about and I'm looking towards is uh, Jason Johnson. Hopefully we see him start getting back into the mix because I think Having him coming into the postseason as an option is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a great, great asset for this team. Um, all right, that's good stuff. So, we what we do have coming up uh, as we're coming into the end of the year for for uh, Phoenix Rising is we do have uh, the P uh, the PRFC Year End Awards, where we have uh, uh, definitely some. Uh, I think they they have four different awards. I just did submit my own vote, uh, but we have. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Uh, 
we have awards for MVP. We have uh, best youngster, best defensive player. Um, and what is the fourth one? Let me take a look. So definitely, if you have a chance, uh, head over to uh, phxrisingfc.com. Uh, put, in, put in your vote. Yes, I'm sorry. They have uh, voting for goal of the year, uh, where you can choose from the Jason Johnson scissor kick. Uh, the Didier Drogba free kick, Solomon Asante top shelf, and a Chris Cortez long distance shot. Uh, you can vote for Team MVP uh, and choose between Chris Cortez, Solomon Asante, Carl, Carl Wazinski, and Amadou Dia. You can pick Defender of the Year, Carl Wazinski, Amadou Dia, Joey Farrell, and Mike DeFonte, as well as Newcomer of the Year for J between James Musa, Joey Farrell, Solomon Asante, and Zach Lubin. And then now we also have a young player of the year. Now, you know, young is relative. Uh, I, I'm not going to say the birthday that I have coming up, but, you know, I still feel somewhat young. Uh, but certainly not as young as Kevon Lambert, Colin Fernandez, Devin Vega, or Evan Waldrop. So if you do have a chance, uh, go, go submit your vote. Um, guys, on goal of the year, is there any other choice in terms of the, what the Rising Pod guys are thinking? How how can there be any other choice? Yeah, that Didier Drogba free kick. Oh oh oh, you must be thinking about the scissor, the scissor kick. Okay. Uh, um, actually, I was thinking about um, Chris Cortez against Orange County. That was a very nifty finish. That no, that's Jason Johnson by a landslide. <laughs> by 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 two landslides. Uh, Team MVP. I mean, you don't if you don't want to pick one now. But what do you think of the choice they put? Dia up, Wazinski, Asante, and Chris Cortez. I mean, that's it's so tough because I think all of them have made great cases. For me, it would it, the top three would definitely be um, Asante, Cortez, and Wazinski. I think Wazinski. I mean, he has eleven clean sheets, the most of any goalkeeper in the Western Conference. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit because, I mean, even last night, like we talked about, you know, he comes up huge, you know, has to make saves, didn't have to make too many saves last night, but I think he just has a great presence in the box and is able to, you know, really help our defensive center pairing the center backs, you know, stay in position and help them out. And, um, but for me, I think I have to go Chris Cortez just because of the goals. I mean, he's scored that many goals this season and I think feel like last season that's what we were lacking in a lot of matches we needed you know some goals to either pull out a win or a draw late and we lacked that you know we'd have to suffer a loss or you know just take one point and this year it feels like we're just able to go out there and get a win regardless of the situation I think Chris Cortez has been a key part of that I, I think it's still the argument we had in the midseason um, where it's a really close call between Asante and Cortez. Um, you know, on one hand, you see Cortez racking up these goal numbers up to 17 on the season now and about to set club record. He now matched it at 29. On the other hand, you have Asante with a six-goal August and several assists that month, uh, you know, being voted the second-best player in USL that month which is amazing. I mean, and continuing to make an impact in other matches as well. So like both those guys and Carl um, are all worthy of that award. I think it just comes down to personal preference. And I think mine would be Asante B 
because of his all-around performance, but you can't go wrong with any of those guys. All right, how about Defender of the Year uh, be between Waz, Dia, Farrell, and DeFont? Uh, I think I said DeFonte earlier. I apologize. It's Mike DeFont. Um, uh, you know, for me, it seems like Waz, Waz has to be the winner within that regard. Again, 11 clean sheets. Interesting enough uh, that his Western Con he is tied in the Western Conference for clean sheets with Josh Cohen of Sacramento, uh, who he uh, lost his starting position to last season uh, before Cohen left. So uh, definitely a very, very high-quality uh, goalkeeper, and he's performed very, very well for me. So that's my defender of the year. Yeah, I'm with you, Aaron. I mean, not those other defenders are all great choices, but for me, it's it's been Carl Wazinski. And I mean, like you said, to to go from not being a regular starter last year to getting back the starting role, and you know, not not letting go because he's he's been nothing but stellar all season. So um, it's got to be Waz. I, I concur with you both, although I want to give honorable mentions to Abdul Salam and to Blackman and his limited appearances with us. I think those guys, had they been here for the full season, would have been making a lot of noise in that vote. But uh, it is what it is, and based off the choices we got, you got to say Carl. You know, as, I, I guess as an off-the-books vote, uh, we might say that Peter Ramage is actually the defender of the year because the attitude uh, did seem to, to change as, as when Ramage came in uh, with a the back line seemingly in, in much stronger, a lot, lot stronger cohesion, uh, working a lot better together. All right, the newcomer of the year, we have James Musa, Joey Farrell, Solomon Asante, and Zach Lubin. Um, uh, Kyle, why don't you start us off there? I mean, this one, it's because of Asante's major impact, he has to be the newcomer of the year, which is a bummer for some of these other players because I really think Joe Farrell, he is a player that I was really high on coming in. You know, he had such a solid career at the Rochester Rhinos. And um, I think he's he's done a great job. It took him a while to, I think, start seeing the field regularly and start being in the starting 11. But now that he's been in it, I mean, he's he's been great when he's on the ball. And we've all seen that he's that goal-scoring threat that we've been craving now that Peter Ramage is gone. So, um, I mean, definitely Joe Farrell is an honorable mention, but it has to be Asante here. Yeah, Asante. I mean, that's... You can't really have a discussion about it, really. <laughs> there, there, there truly isn't a lot of discussion. I, uh, I'm right there with you. All right, how about Young Player of the Year? This is an interesting category to have because, uh, you know, as we came into the night, uh, the 2017 campaign, the team was really built on veteran leadership. Uh, guys like Sean Rage Phillips and Jordan Stewart and Peter Ramage, and then bringing in Omar Bravo and, and, and of course, finally Didier Drogba, and that's where the attention seemed to have been paid. But we have some, some young guys that are really good in getting some good good attention and good playing time. Uh, Kevon Lambert, Colin Fernandez, Devin Vega, and Evan Waldrop. Uh, Dom, why don't you start us off? Tell us, who's your young player of the year? That is a... Can you repeat the, the, the four choices again? I heard yeah. Lambert and Waldrop. Lambert, Fernandez, Vega, and Waldrop. 
I think I'm going to go Lambert because he's shown a lot of growth as the season has progressed. I think a couple of matches early in the season, we didn't see a full effort from him. And we, uh, you know, we did not shy away from it. I mean, if he wasn't giving the full effort, we, we kind of put it out there. But I feel like for the most part, Kavan has been rock solid this year and improved from last year with ball distribution, with his ability to finish uh, when he does get those opportunities up top. You definitely saw it in the Colorado Springs match. And he's just become such a rock for us in the starting 11, especially especially since you know the w- midway point of this season. He's become one of our four or five most just consistent, reliable players in, in our rotation, in our whole team. Um, so to me, I think Kavan, because he's at the point in his career where he's getting national team call-ups. He's, you know, barring injury, going to start for us every week. Um, he's kind of the engine that gets everything going. So, I mean, and he's getting more opportunities up top. So for me, it's Kavan. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Dominic. Um, I think now that he's kind of in this new role in the midfield, it seems like that he's been getting farther forward and having much more of an impact. But, I mean, for me, it's when I think about Kavon Lambert, I don't think about him as a young player because we've seen him be, you know, a part of the starting 11 for so long now. And he plays with such maturity it seems like you know he and he's so much taller than some of the, you know some of the guys that he's playing with asante for example um but i mean it's got to be lambert but i mean i think all of these players have had a great impact on the team colin fernandez in the beginning of the season especially i mean in that holding midfield role before he got hurt i think he was really a strong point of our midfield um but it's got to be kavon lambert just due to his consistency and you know goal scoring prowess that we've seen as of late yeah there's some you know a couple of interesting things that that definitely give him uh a boost over the other guys uh Interestingly, uh, Lambert actually is uh, fourth on our team for minutes played. Uh, so uh, Amadou Dia has the most minutes played. Behind him, Asante, Defont, and then Lambert with 2,200 minutes played, uh, 26 games, 25 starts, um, only two sub-offs there. Um, behind him, uh, behind him, there, there's not... You know, these guys are still developing players, so you're not seeing that same consistency. And of course, and of course, uh, he's got the uh, uh, the advantage of this is his second year with the team, as opposed, uh, whereas Fernandez, Vega, and Waldrop are all in their very first year with the team. So, uh, I'll I'll say one last thing about Lambert as well. I think that he's a little bit of a different player after he came back from national service. Uh, I think that time with Jamaica boosted his confidence level and I think he's playing at a, at a different level than he was before he left so you know those, that's just a couple uh, couple observations from me anyway I've noticed that too Aaron and I, I love that he's you know able to go be around that professional setting and go be with all the great Jamaican players um, I think it's great for his development and I mean We've seen, you know, on the field, he's uh, improved in form since he's came back for sure. All right, so make sure you guys get out there. Uh, go to the Phoenix Rising website and uh, get your votes in. And if you see if you guys agree with us, and if especially if you disagree, make sure to make sure to call us out on Twitter so that we know uh, uh, we know where we went wrong there. So, 
Um, all right, on to You know, before we move on, before we move on to just uh, think about the rising pod when you make those votes because we uh, we started the risers, our our own like unofficial awards way back in 2017, and now it's it's going mainstream and it's uh, become a big thing with the team Twitter page. So um, just wanted to throw that one out there, but I think we can move on to um, the USL rebranding, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and we're going to, I think when we, when we start putting some things out for the risers, we're going to, we have to start adding some best hair, some best smile. You know, we, we, I, th- I think that could make things a little bit, a little bit interesting too, because we got some good creativity there. All right. Er- uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, um, Tuesday at 10 o'clock local time, you, uh, the United Soccer League uh, made a big announcement. They uh, they put it forth in, in a lot of big ways. Uh, there was definitely a lot of speculation about what exactly was going to occur. Was US USL announcing the implementation of ProRel? Um, you know, a merge with MLS, what was going on? Uh, John McPherson on Twitter uh, put us all properly in our place, and he said, look, guys, there's a rebranding that's gonna that's been in the works for about a year, um, and that, in fact, was what the announcement was. So USL um, is now changing, US, uh, USL comprising of three different divisions basically currently we have uh, usl which is serves division two usl d3 which was uh which is starting up next year which does include fc tucson um and and then they had pdl the premier development league which was also run by usl and formerly known as usl pdl now these three leagues are rebranded where we're going to have the USL Championship Division and the USL League One, which is going to serve as the USSF Division Three uh, League, and PDL is renamed USL League Two. Um, the names, I don't know where they got them from. Uh, they just popped them out of the air. Oh no! Actually, they came uh, and mirror exactly what happens in the lower, lower uh, English leagues, where we have the English Premier League, English Championship League, and then League One and League Two. Um, guys, what are your thoughts on the rebrand? I think I think it's good. Um, it shows that USL does have the aspirations for a pro rel, and the fact that they're mirroring, you know, the the English leagues i think a lot of people will respect that you know the english teams and the english leagues especially the championship league you know they say it's the toughest toughest league to win in the world due to this playoff system um i mean i I really think that it's it's cool um it's showing progress for me i just i really hope that this does lead to pro relegation because without it it kind of makes this seem like they're trying to seem, you know, like a legitimate league. And yeah, we have, you know, the championship in League One and League Two. But if we don't ever see pro relegation ten years down the road, people may uh, may question it. But I think it's, you know, it's great. And I think it's to see these kinds of moves being made just shows that the USL is growing more and more every season. And you know, I think that um, we'll see that going forward. Yeah, I think it was a fairly clean rebrand. 
Um, I, I like the new logos. I think the names, maybe not the most creative choice, but it, it does kind of organize things a little bit better. Um, you know, a lot of people are still not really familiar with exactly what the classifications are, but I think when you look at it as, oh, okay, USL Championship is like English Championship, USL 1 is like League 1 in England, and USL League 2 is like English Football League 2, it makes it more, like, it makes more sense. There's less questioning. It kind of organizes things a little bit better. At least for me, it kind of makes sense. Um, maybe for other people it'll be confusing, but... Uh, and I think the time is right, and I think that this paves the way for ProRail. Not immediately, but you look maybe like three to five years down the road, uh, once that USL1 division starts to take off a little more and the USL2 division starts to take off, once you see attendance rise more in those divisions, and especially if you see teams get you know, three to 5,000 per match at that USL1 level, then I think ProRail becomes a distinct possibility, um, something a little more realistic. Um, I like it. And then I guess the the next part is, what do you guys want to see um, when this USL rebrand goes into effect? Because we talked off-air about you know, the idea of USL 1 and USL 2 matches being on YouTube. I think that's a great idea to raise awareness, make it super convenient to watch these matches. Do you guys agree with that? And if so, what other thoughts do you guys have for how this can grow? Yeah, ultimately what it really comes down to is what's it going to take for this to, to, to be a success? And, I brought, uh, you know, you brought something up, Dom, just a second ago that, that I want to come back on. And, and the question is, is this going to be confusing or not? Um, you know, if, if you say to a casual fan, oh, you know, they play in League One, and they play in, and these other guys play in championship. Like, is that is that distinct enough that an American fan is really going to have an understanding of that? And the answer to to that, in my mind, is I I think this is going to add to the confusion that exists in the U.S. Um, but look, we have to get some, some more sophisticated as a football nation. I mean, we really do. Um, at least here, we have something that we're able to mirror. Um, in terms of of the pro rel issue, there's Ton, I mean, it's really a mixed bag there because League Two teams cannot move into League One. That is not where the ProRail is going to be, um, at least within the vision of what PDL currently exists as. PDL being an amateur league that allows, uh, th that is made up mostly of collegiate players who are under NCAA guidelines not to be able to play on pro teams or play with other pro players. Uh, PDL is a um, is a structure for those those players to continue their development in the off in the collegiate off season, um, and but still maintain their eligibility. And the issue is if if you start introducing pro rel into that that PDL slash league two and uh, promoting teams, what's going to happen to those players? The players may not be able to move up into league one. So there's a lot of questions that have to be asked, but at the very least, USL is acknowledging that they are trying to set up some sort of a system in order to be able to move into the FIFA-mandated promotion relegation uh, league, league style. Uh, so we're, we're getting somewhere there. 
the real question is, what's it going to take in order for this to, to properly take off and to give the teams the, the most support? And just like you said, we were talking offline, YouTube, 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 uh, MyKuju, uh, My like there has to be something where these teams and these games are going to be accessible to not the everyday fan, not not just the everyday fan, but the soccer mom and the soccer kid, that they can pull pull up a game from their local team on YouTube. They can show up to a game, and that those administrations are going to make their players accessible to youth clubs and to getting the word out and building soccer culture within those smaller communities that League Two and League One are going to serve. That's my thoughts. What about you, Kyle? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. Accessibility is going to be number one. I mean, we talked about it. Um, when I first started following Phoenix Rising, well, actually, Arizona United, pre-Phoenix Rising, um, it was all YouTube. And being able to watch the matches on YouTube, you know, it was awesome. I wasn't even living in Phoenix at the time. So being out of town, being able to pull it up, you know, no matter what I was doing, even if I was driving in the car, I could pull it up on YouTube and at least listen to it not not watch too much um but i i think the accessibility is <laughs> huge but <laughs> i think this comes at a great time because with the world cup coming to the u.s in 2026 i think we're going to see a lot of growth for soccer here and i think this gives a lot of cities with you know smaller you know maybe not professional teams an opportunity to field a professional soccer team and to to grow you know the soccer community within each city and um i think the world cup always brings that to every country that it's in and i think that it could do that to these smaller usl clubs um but as you said aaron the the pdl league two kind of how the pro rel is going to work i think that's to be decided i think Initially, we will see promotion and relegation from the championship in League One and USL, and then they might work their way into the League Two over time. Well, definitely a lot of excitement about what can be, um, and it's really nice to be able to see uh, somebody trying to, uh, I mean, they're actually making it work. Uh, there was a lot of, so much discussion under, under the old NASL of what could be, and it's really awesome to be able to see USL actually trying to make it be, uh, as opposed to just sitting and talking about it. So uh, props to USL for continuing to move the conversation forward on how we can continually improve American soccer. Uh, Dom, let's move oh, on. Oh, go on. Uh, let's move on to uh, USL standings and uh, points. Sure. And, uh, you know, one very quick thing before we do that, if anyone's listening out there in Flagstaff or Yuma or some other place in a smaller part of Arizona and, you know, someone that has a lot of money, just try to get them to get a PDL team in one of those cities. I would love to see a USL2 team up in Flagstaff or down in Yuma. I feel like those communities could support it and it would be really fun. But Flagstaff is a great market for that. Uh, interesting, um, as you were saying that, I was thinking, with Barca Academy having their resident academy in Casa Grande, that might be a really interesting uh, place for a League Two team affiliated with Barca. 
Yeah, no, I think, yeah. I think Casa Grande is also a great option for people that are kind of in that in between, you know, Queen Creek, you know, Maricopa area. It'll give them, you know, a closer maybe a team to get out to. And um, I think that the Casa Grande area itself, there's plans for a kind of resort, you know, live, work, play area out there in the works. And I think that if that were to take place, a a PDL League Two team would be a would fit in great. All right. Well, that our, our pitch is done, and we will move on to USL scores and standings. Um, a pretty big, uh, pretty busy week in the Western Conference. It started on Wednesday with two important matches for us. Um, Reno gets a four-nil win over RGV, and then the match that was more important to us, Las Vegas Lights, almost plays the royal role of spoiler here, hosting Orange County. They were actually winning. In, in this match at one point, 3-2. But then Orange County knots it up, and then two goals in the final 15 minutes. One from Michael Seaton, one from Thomas Enedvoldson, and uh, both those guys end up with braces, and Orange County takes this one 5-3. Uh, a baseball score out there at a baseball stadium. Uh, then you get to the weekend, and San Antonio keeps its slim playoff hopes alive with a 3-1 win at home against Sounders 2. RGV beats Fresno. Kind of an odd result, but doesn't really matter. Um, Reno wins 2-0 against Tulsa. Sac Republic beats Timbers 2-1-0. Um, a big win for Sac Republic. That's a key matchup in terms of home field advantage in the first round of these USL Western Conference playoffs and a potential first-round preview. Uh, that could be a 4-5 matchup, depending on how things shake out. Uh, you know, or OKC Energy wins against Las Vegas Lights 1-0. Um, not going to make it to the playoffs, but good to see them not just playing out the string, but fighting hard. And then a match that's just crazy. I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't really surprise us at this point, but uh, it looks like Monarchs have already thrown in the towel on this season because they lose 2-0 at home to Colorado Springs. Um, that's Ajaqua and Martin Maven with the goals there, and you know, Monarchs are just in free fall right now. That's four straight defeats. Four straight defeats, and they give up. Uh, they give up another spot in the standings as Sacramento Republic moves ahead of them uh, with a game in hand on them as well. So uh, that you know, <laughs> quite the fall from grace. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, and we talked about it last week. Um, I'm starting to wonder if they'll be able to even pull out a home playoff match at this point. It seems like it's it might not happen because Reno is you know has the game in hand and is only behind two points. So if Reno gets a win in that game in hand, they're gonna overtake them as fourth place. So uh, definitely a bummer for Monarchs right now. But I mean, it's it's you know fine for us it doesn't really affect us now and if anything it's just a two horse race at the top of the west so we will run through the the standings pretty quick and then get into your guys's thoughts um at the top we have orange county with 63 points with only two matches remaining we are in second place with 62 points we have three matches left sac republic 56 points three matches left monarchs are down to fourth now 54 points and only two matches left. Then at fifth place is Timbers 2 with 52 points, two matches left. 
Reno in sixth place with 52 points, two matches left. Swell Park, 50 points, two matches left. St. Louis in eighth place with 49 points, two matches left. And just outside the playoff picture, San Antonio with 46 points, two matches left. OKC has officially been mathematically eliminated. Um, so now only nine teams have a shot to make the playoffs in the West. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on these standings? I mean, yeah, just go for it. Just kind of going back to the, to the Monarchs thing, I, I just am just amazed with that. Uh, but it's also been really amazing to see Sacramento Republic's recent run. Uh, they are uh, 4-0-1 in their last five, uh, so they're undefeated, undefeated in their last five. I don't know if that stretches even farther. So they've had a really amazing end-of-season run uh, behind uh, Josh Cohen, uh, our, our former goal, goalkeeper. Um, Reno finally starting to catch up in terms of total matches. They actually, uh, you said earlier they have two. They actually have three matches remaining still, um, and they have a, an, I don't even know that it's an outside shot, uh, but they have a reasonable shot at even, you know, potentially a third-place finish in, in, in the league um, after sort of trailing behind for so long, mostly because they just weren't playing the same number of matches. Uh, most interesting to me, though, is where things are going to finish up between St. Louis and San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio with an incredibly disappointing season. St. Louis with their inaugural season, their first uh, first season in the league, and they may be making the playoffs. So it, it's really shaping up to be interesting. I'll give well, what, fourth, fourth what, season in the league for St. Louis. They were in the West a couple of years ago. We haven't seen much of them because they're, they're out in the Eastern Conference uh, for two of those oh, previous three years. What, okay, so that... See, I don't pay a lot of attention to the Eastern Conference, but you just set me up because I just wanted to give one quick shout-out um, for for those who are not following the full league, I spend most of my time on Western Conference, but holy mackerel, FC Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati destroys the Eastern Conference, 75 points. Uh, they are the regular season champion for the entire league, um, and they have just gone on a heck of a streak, still with two games remaining, but they have 23 wins. They're 23-3-6 and six, uh, with, a 30, uh, with a 38 on the goal differential. So FC Cincinnati is going to be really interesting in the, in the Eastern Conference um, because they're going to have some people looking to knock them out um, after being totally just, they just destroyed the Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah, they did. It, it wasn't really close this season. And, you know, if you're a Phoenix fan, or really anybody in the Western Conference, you're going to hope that FC Cincinnati gets knocked out early in that first round because um, if they do make it to the USL Cup Final, there is no doubt that it will be held in Cincinnati. And along with Cincinnati comes you know, a lot of You know, I'm to take the people. opposite view. Yeah, a lot of people, they, they set the USL single game attendance record, uh, regular season attendance record, with 31,000, uh, almost 31,500 fans against Indy 11 on Saturday with their win. But I have the different opinion. I want to go to Cincinnati. If we're going to win the USL Cup, I want us to do it beating, you know, 
to be the best, you got to beat the best. I don't want any arguments about who the best team in USL was this season. If it's going to be us, I think we got to like earn it in a hostile environment. And I would, I would be thrilled with the opportunity to play them, you know, maybe a future MLS opponent one day, but I, I think that would be really cool. You make a good point, man. No, and I mean, it, the atmosphere would be unreal. Um, you're absolutely right that, I mean, it, it would be if, you know, Phoenix were to make it and win the cup and it wasn't against Cincinnati, there would be the naysayers that would say, well, yeah, but you didn't actually beat the best team in the East. So that's really what you do want to see in a cup final is the best two teams, and that's uh, hopefully would be Phoenix and Cincinnati. And, and turning things uh, back to the West a little bit, um, you know, those middle of the conference spots are absolutely fair game for everyone. Um, three through three through really six, but even seven, you know, those teams can shake up quite a bit from where they are right now. Um, you know, we talk about St. Louis not having the best match this weekend. They still control their destiny, regardless of what San Antonio does. St. Louis clinches a playoff spot with a win and a draw from their final two matches. Their final two matches are versus Tulsa versus OKC. I think they can do it. The hot match to look at there is going to be that last match at home against OKC because they have had playoff form in the second half of this season. So they could relish playing the role of spoiler there. Um, That'll be interesting to see. But I, I fancy St. Louis to get that eighth spot. Uh, and then up at the top, OC is still in first, but we still control our destiny for top seed in the Western Conference. Um, you know, we just have to take care of our matches in hand. We have to take care of our business. And it's it's down to just three cup finals now. Uh, we have Reno at home, Las Vegas away, and Timbers 2 at home. None of those teams are going to scare you too much, but they're all scrappy teams. Um, maybe not Vegas as much, but definitely those Reno and Timbers 2 matches. Scrappy teams with something to play for. Um, and we're probably going to have to grind it out like against St. Louis. But I, I think we can do this, and I think this team is showing something pretty special. Um, we've talked about it again, or we talked about it before with Orange County. Their next match is very winnable. I think Sounders two at home, but then they have to go to, to uh, Reno for that last match. So, you know, things should favor us that, um, if we can get the win this weekend and then it'll just keep us two points behind, then we'll have that midweek, October 10th match against Vegas opportunity to pull back ahead going into the final match day. And that's really where the focus should be. We don't even have to scoreboard watch too much. Just take care of our own business. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, it's destiny is in our hands. Um, it's, you know, our first first place spot to lose. So if Phoenix can win out, you know, we, we know that first place will be ours. So um, it's, yeah, really just got to, like you said, cu- three cup finals, just got to take it match by match. And I think that the team definitely has that mind state right now i think we saw that last night they they know how important every single match is and how you know if they want to have that road through the western conference be phoenix that you know we're gonna have to go out there and give our all every single match 
Well, that pretty much takes care of our local our local team and our uh, um, and USL news. Uh, we'll move on real quickly to what else is going on in soccer in the Phoenix area. Uh, this week, GCU women have two matches uh, on your Firebird soccer calendar. Uh, they play, The GCU women play on Friday versus UT Rio Grande Valley. And on Saturday against California Baptist, I believe both of those are league matches. Uh, then what we have is... Uh, uh, and then, of course, on Saturday, Phoenix Rising FC faces Reno 1868 as we uh, are, are preparing for playoffs. Uh, final, uh, also in Phoenix area soccer news, we have uh, tomorrow we should see the return to the Valley of Team USA 6v6. Uh, the small goal soccer uh, team that just played in the... International Soccer Federation World Cup, and in that World Cup, uh, that was played in Lisbon, Portugal. A lot of the games were availed, available on MyCujo, and uh, Team USA made it out of group play undefeated, defeating Slovakia, Kazakhstan, and England, and faced uh, Latvia on Friday morning in Friday morning our time actually I believe it was one in the morning on uh, Thursday night Friday morning uh, beat team Latvia and made it to the quarterfinals versus Germany uh, unfortunately they lose to Germany 2-2 uh, and then uh, one nothing in in a shootout uh, to Germany to exit the World Cup competition and Germany did move on to actually win the ISF 6v6 World Cup so hey if you're gonna lose lose to the best I guess right guys yeah yeah no shame in that you know um sounds like they put forth a great effort and they can hold their heads high and uh definitely did the U.S. proud and took them to a penalty shootout too I you know I don't know if any of you guys who are listening play small goal soccer in the area. I know a lot of people do play small goal soccer in this area and even in some other places. Um, and if any of you guys know Adam Thelwell, he was a member of this of this U.S. 6v6 World Cup team and actually had a big role in getting it started. So if you guys ever see him around, give him a shout out um, You know for what he did in putting the team together and uh, you know getting them to the World Cup because it, it sounded like we haven't even put a team in this 6v6 World Cup too many times in the past. So so this is uh, actually the first year for the Soccer Federation to put on a World Cup event. Um, and Adam actually put something up on, face, uh, up on his Facebook and basically said when they arrived, they got laughed at. Uh, because, you know, it's it's U.S. soccer, right? And But by the time they left, everybody respected them. And Andrew Weber, uh, who's also the goalkeeper for uh, Sporting AZ and uh, former MLS goalkeeper, actually won goalkeeper of the tournament. So uh, they, they walked in think, with people laughing at them, and they walked out with everybody giving them applause and all all the uh, everything that they're due. So um, Adam did a great job putting this team together. The team was coached by Tom Hurdle, uh, who is the, uh, the the head coach of um, uh, Sporting AZ, as well as the assistant coach up at Scottsdale Community College. Um, there were players like Dom Papa and uh, uh, Mo Salama and... Uh, as well as Tony Cassio and, and Tony Cassio, and I got to tell you, 
the, M the actual my MVP for the tournament was actually a guy named Scott Crandall. Scott sells insurance, but he actually runs some of the small goal soccer leagues, including the one that I play in in Mesa. Scott's a great guy. Uh, he scored the opening goal. He had a couple assists. He was absolutely fantastic for this team. Uh, and uh, just a really, really exciting to play. So if you have a chance, hey, you can still watch it on replay. Uh, go to mykujo.com and you can catch some of the replays. Um, or uh, 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 check out a recap that I might end up writing for Firebird Soccer at some point or not. That's everything that we had on schedule. Dom, do we have any supporters' corner questions? Well, it's, it's really cool to see all these local people represent uh, the U.S. so well at this World Cup. So um, definitely got to appreciate their efforts, give them the respect they deserve. And, and Kyle Kepner, too, for covering that team um, on the interwebs. But with that being said, I think we can go to closing thoughts unless you guys had anything else. No, no, and I'll start. Um, I mean, I we've talked about it the past few weeks. It's it's going out there, looking at this on a match by match basis. Each one is a cup final, essentially, and that we need the three points. We need a victory, and Phoenix did just that in a match that I think last season and even at other points in this season we might see a draw as the result. It seemed like this match was destined for a stalemate. Um, but Rick Schantz was having none of it, you know, made the substitutions where he saw we can take advantage of and, you know, did just that. Both subs had huge impacts on the match. Um, Devin Vega did as well, brought a great presence, I thought, and a lot of energy. So um, just got to keep moving forward. This Phoenix team is no doubt rising right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have a... Um just to put the final pieces on your Firebird soccer schedule, uh, we have uh, Phoenix Rising does have their first playoff game, which was announced. It's going to be on October 19th against, uh, you know, potentially either St. Louis coming back or San Antonio or, uh, you know, there's a couple other folks in the mix. Like Dom was saying, it's kind of up for grabs. But make sure, mark that October 19th game on your schedule. That's going to be at 730 the big deal about this is it has been it has been announced that it is going to be one dollar beer night, and it's going to be a blackout night as well. I believe they're going to be handing out black uh, uh, black shirts to the first three thousand uh, fans. Uh, so make sure you put that on your schedule. Uh, I believe season ticket holders are getting uh, emails currently, uh, and they have the first option to buy tickets to that playoff match, and then it'll open up to the public. That's my final thought, Dom. How about you? Uh, just super exciting to see our franchise get its first ever home playoff matchup guaranteed, uh, which is where we're at right now. And the chance for even more, a chance to win the Western Conference. Um, you know, credit to all the players. But, you know, my final thought, and maybe some of you guys listening felt this earlier, but what an incredible job Rick Chance has done with this team. You know, earlier in the season, we did a lot of tinkering with our lineups, a lot of tinkering with our formations. And what Shots has done, coming in, establishing that 4-2-3-1, making it our formation. 
really setting a strong group of starters. Like, yes, there's been some rotation, but also making it pretty clear who the regular starters are going to be and who more of the rotational pieces are going to be while still giving everyone a chance to get in and contribute in their own special ways. Rick Schantz has done an amazing job with this team. Um, he's my coach of the year if you're comparing his job to Carterone. And I know Carterone did a great job last year and early this season, but I feel like this team is reaching its full potential with Rick Schantz in all phases. You know, attack, defense. We've been much better with ball possession in a lot of matches this season. Um, and in the matches where we haven't had a ton of possession, we've grinded out those results that we weren't always grinding out in the past. So, you know, I really hope that Schantz becomes our permanent head coach after this season. I think he's been an amazing, amazing coach for us. And he's done one of the best jobs in the league this season. Uh, you can't give enough credit to him for keeping the team, you know, focused on the prize without Didier Drogba. Um, coming in in the midseason and not only just keeping everyone where we were at, but actually bringing in Peter Ramage, bringing in uh, players and coaching that's going to take us to this next level because we've been at a better pace since he became our permanent head coach. And that's, you, you see it in matches like Saturday where we're not at our best and the decisions he's making, those decisions are helping us get those full three points. So I just... We haven't talked about it a lot lately, but I just want to give a big shout-out to Rick Schantz. And with that, we'll go ahead and conclude our pod. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, for Dominic Kearns and Kyle Mackey, I am Aaron Blau, and we are Rising as One. Have a great week, everybody. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.